Welcome to another episode of the White Collar Tradie Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Zebranik. Join me as I chat with some of the most interesting, inspirational and successful people I've been fortunate enough to meet throughout my life and through my business journey. Throughout these conversations, we'll dive into the mindset of our guests and uncover some of the tips, tools and strategies they've implemented in their business and their life that has helped shape their success and make them the all-round incredible humans they are. Please enjoy. All right, my guest today is Michael Maroon. Michael is a former soccer player who played, well, former professional soccer player. You're going to have to correct me if I get any of this wrong too. I won't. Who played 193 games for Adelaide United, which is the second most in the club's history, and a total of 235 A-League games, uh, 16 games for Shanghai Shenzhen, and one game for the Socceroos in which he scored a goal. Michael has won three FFA Cups, an A-League Premiership, and an A-League Championship. Thanks for joining me, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. Is any of that right? Was that all right? It's hard to know. Shanghai Shenzhen. Shenzhen. If it, for all the Chinese listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the rest was and pretty good. Apparently they're defunct now, I've heard. I think they dropped a couple of divisions. Okay. Posts I haven't, I haven't checked lately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, mate, I'd, I'd love to just wind back the clock a bit to the um, early 2000s, I reckon, when school days and you left and went to the AIS. So... I'd love to just hear a bit about your experience there and, um, you know, what, what you took away from that, what they prepared you for, what lessons you learnt from the AIS at such a, such a young age. Yeah, so I left... So I was, I was doing Year 11 with yourself mm-hmm. and then I left um, to live in Canberra. So I was 16, turning 17 when I left and I spent, ended up spending two and a half years in Canberra with 20 other blokes my age... Yeah. Um, and it was sort of an intense program where you, you're probably training um, once or twice a day at least and then you're doing your schooling on the side as mm-hmm. a year 12 as sort of just the, yeah, I guess not the main main uh, thing you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. So school was just like the extra and um, yeah, it was an interesting time to try and do year 12 and also I guess you're, you're living by yourself you have like your, your people will look after you and you have your coaching team and everything but essentially you're, you're living by yourself yeah. Um, for yeah two and a half years so it was um, mm. very interesting and I'd, I'd probably only get back once or twice a year probably Christmas and maybe one other time mm. for a mm. couple of days in Adelaide yeah and what were they sort of what are the t- big keys you took away from that what are they really concentrating on um, teaching you in that period I think it was just sort of an intense program because they're just trying to replicate professional environments and I think the best way to get um, young people ready for professional environments just yeah just just that repetition of um, mm-hmm. doing at least a couple of hours of um, yeah good training with other people of a very good level yeah but yeah looking back I probably should have left a year earlier it was a uh, it was an interesting time when I went there so it was an it was like a transition period so with the league we were playing in when I got there, the league they were playing was a strong league. They're actually playing in the Sydney League, mm-hmm. so you're playing against men. Yep. When I got there, then they left that competition, and I was in this midway section, so we were only playing against Canberra teams. So we were playing Canberra teams. We were beating them 10-0 every game in friendlies. Really? We didn't have a league. Mm-hmm. And then, literally, when I left, they joined the Victorian Premier League, which, again, was a strong league. So I was mm-hmm. in this transition period where... For development of um, getting regular football games, it wasn't a good period, mm-hmm. but for the training and the other things I got out of it, I guess, yeah, you still get a lot out of it. Did you go on to play, did any of those other people you went to the AIS with go on to be, have good careers like yourself? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the year I, um, the year I left AOS, the, the A-League just started, 
Oh, the A-League just started. So they had a rule the first year of the, well, the first couple of years of the A-League that um, you had to have two under 20 players. Mm -hmm. I think it was under 20 or under 21, maybe. I remember that. I remember exactly. So to be fair, a lot of the... um, a lot of the players from my year group at the AOS ended up going to A-League clubs in their respective states. So, for instance, with Adelaide United, um, Adelaide United signed Bruce Jute and Nathan Burns oh, that yeah. year. Yep. So I didn't get picked up straight from that. I ended up playing... I went straight to Melbourne and played a year in the VPL, which was like a very oh. good league at the time, Yep. and tried to get as much sort of experience in that. I'd just come out of not playing regular football the only games to be fair we were playing was local friendlies in mm-hmm. canberra and then we were playing internationals we were playing under 20 games that we weren't prepared for mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. be fair looking what was that club i saw it on the wikipedia what was that club in VPL? i played for kingston, kingston ah, that's City. It. yep okay yeah. i wonder where that where that came in yeah yeah there, that's it um and i you know so i reckon it was doing my research january 2009 it's two days before your birthday i reckon you made your debut for Adelaide United in the A-League. Um, and I'm always, always interested to ask, um, because I know, you know we were hanging out a fair bit back then, and being in that environment at such a young age, like going to be a professional athlete, you know, you had to make a lot of sacrifices in regards to, you know, you were travelling a lot, you weren't going out on the Terps like everyone else. So I just wanted to know how you dealt with that at such a young age of making all the sacrifices that a normal 21-year-old is doing? And then also, what, what was the hardest sacrifices to make? Yeah, um, well, that's, a, that's a few questions in one. I think I actually did an interview a couple of weeks ago and um, I touched on that I was probably a little bit naive at the time. I, from maybe 13, 14, 15, I, I thought I was going to be a professional footballer. That mm-hmm. just sat in my head, like, yeah, that's what I want to do, that's what's going to happen. Not getting picked up by the A-League that first year was like, nah, it's all right, I'll go do this and then I'll get picked up. I had a full year in the VPL. I thought I played really well. Couldn't manage to get a A-League deal out of that. It was very difficult to make that transition, even mm. though I was young. Came back to Adelaide, literally started working. Um, I got approached to um, join the Adelaide United youth team, which just started that year as well. Yeah. And I was like, I was on the borderline age. I think I was 20. I think I might have been 20. And um, they asked me to join the youth team. Uh, Joe Mullen was the coach, really good coach. And essentially I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll give it a go. No worries. Um, And yeah, I played that whole year of the youth league. And like you said, it was was last game of the season. I ended up making debut in the A-League game against Central Coast Mariners. And then I played the week after. Um, Ended up getting the grand final that year. I sat on the bench. Um, in the grand final that we lost against Victory. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, got, got a deal out of that and sort of, yeah, built from there. But, you know what, sport is very... That could have easily not happened and I could have taken a completely different path. Like, mm-hmm. if I got, didn't get played that last game of the season, it's very possible I didn't end up playing sport professionally. Mm. So It's like a sliding well, doors moment, hey? You could say that, yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah, the sacrifices, how did you... Handle that. I guess, uh, yeah, like you said, there was, there was a lot of times I was designated driver when we went out, <laughs> yeah. when I was in Adelaide, um, and I was very on top of fitness. I think um, I went in early on going to, before gyms were very popular, I was very into gym, and I even worked in a gym, and um, I remember you, uh, you, you and maybe Bo and a few other boys getting involved and 
just starting to do gym mm. um, uh, with me. I remember, I remember taking Bo for runs around the block and yeah. stuff. And, um, yeah, destroying uh, him. Destroy, <laughs> destroy, build the confidence up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think when you play sport for professionally, I guess you miss out on a lot of stuff. Um, you can say miss out, but the amount of times that I would get a invite to a wedding and I'll look at the date and it's like, oh, got a game, I'm away in Wellington. Mm. Or get asked to be a best man for a wedding, which happened, oh, I'm in away in Newcastle. Mm. I ask the coach, hey, can I miss this game? I'm going to be the best man. He says, no. I'm like, oh, God, I've yeah. asked him now and I can't pull a sickie because he yeah. knows what's up. Yeah. I ended up missing a wedding, being best man. Best mm. man. Mm. Looking back, so silly, like just one game. So looking back, you feel like you, yeah, so you th- would this have rather to missed the game. This happened to a player and now, obviously, I'm playing MPL, which is a less league than, um, lower league than um, A-League. Mm-hmm. But we had a player that um, was going to be best man for a, a wedding. And I was like, go, go. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's interesting. Because that like you, and... you look back and it's so insignificant. Mm. Like, whereas the moment, if you were a best man, you compare that to one game. Yeah, hey, that's it's a, so in, insignificant. Yeah, well, um, speaking of fitness as well, just what what, what was your best beep test result? <laughs> uh, high fifteenth. <15th. laughs> high fifteenth. Yeah. Was there a, so? What were you in 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 your peak at Adelaide? Say Adelaide, say Adelaide United. Yep. Um, in what was a high fifteen like in regards to the rest of the team? I was until I broke my leg, and a few other. Uh, I broke my leg, and then a couple of years later, did my Achilles. Up until then, I was always near the top of everything mm-hmm. in yeah, terms so. of endurance and um, yeah, speed and strength and everything. And so, to, so yeah, so fast forward to 2010, I, I believe you travelled to the UK to trial for a few British clubs in QPR, Rangers, Charlton, and Celtic. Yeah, uh, I believe. The uh, not Rangers, but not Rangers. Um, I was at QPR, Leicester, um, Charlton, and yes, yeah, Celtic. Well, okay. Yeah, they kind of rolled into one. I went there for two weeks at a club and we ended up um, moving around a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. And so what did you what did you learn over there? And I'd also like to know what the level was like when you got, you know, were you like, was it just a different level? It was very different. So Australian football is very physical and um, I guess very welcoming. Like I could join, or someone could join an A-League team tomorrow and they'd, Welcome with open arms. You could be the same position as someone. Like, g'day, you know, be best mates with them. Yeah. You go to the UK, you go on trial, you're a trialist. You're there to take their job. Ah. It's a very different mentality. Different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. So, yep. like, you go there as a trialist, you're... You're, tr- you're, you're trying, seen as the enemy. You're the enemy. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Very different. And um, how did those trials go? Did you, you know... I, I did pretty well but at the time I was still contracted they let me go uh, on trial mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, they would have had to pay a transfer for me fee for me yeah whereas the talent pool in England they've got so many players to choose from there's so many players that don't have a transfer fee yeah that unless I was something that really stood out mm-hmm. which wasn't the case especially at the time with the clubs and the stage of the season they were at mm-hmm. um, it wasn't going to happen yeah was it a different like what yeah was the level different over there I guess in yeah, different, but like very different football as well. Different um, football, and like different answers. culture, different style of football. Um, so if ours is more physical, how how would you explain the? UK it was still football? physical. It was just uh, a lot of lot more direct, a lot of long balls, a lot of maybe it was just the clubs I was at, mm-hmm. and um, also the weather played a big part. It was freezing there, mm. so it was uh, it was always wet, and the ball was always uh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, a lot of lot of different different conditions. So does that make the does that mean the balls more more, more skiddy? Yeah, zippy and um, yeah. a lot more slide tackles, slide uh, sliding in, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Then yeah, fast forward again, 2013, you moved to China to play for Shanghai Shen 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 Okay. <laughs> um, I'd like to know, yeah, that's obviously something I'm super interested to hear about. What was the experience like there? With that's obviously just totally different culture, language, food. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I did it. Um, but complete culture shock like, mm. and I didn't get a lot of notice about it I think if I look back it was the mid-season transfer window I was playing at Melbourne City the agent gave me a call on maybe a, I think it was a Thursday and said look there's a bit of interest with a Chinese club Friday it's like here's the offer and like sign the offer then Saturday it's like you, you've got your flights booked Saturday night you're yeah. off Yeah. Right. now we just moved into a new place essentially it was just Okay, you're just leaving. Mm. Um, fly to Shanghai, essentially sign the paperwork properly. They take you for a tour for three, four, five days, show you around the city, looks amazing. And then they punt you off to a, um, down south in China where they're doing a pre-season camp in Guangzhou, mm. which is a, can I swear on here? Yeah. A shithole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you go there and you get, uh, get chucked in your room. There's no toilet paper, um, drop toilet. No oh, towel, no kidding. nothing. I think I'm going to like a hotel. I've just stayed in five-star hotels where they've just signed me and then they've just punted me. <laughs> and I've spent three months in pre-season. No way. Um, where all these other Chinese teams go and just play games. Yeah. And you're just in full pre-season, so you just double sessions every day. Essentially, you just go back to your room to lie down, back to training again, eat. The food was very rough. Yeah. Very, um, I guess, Chinese. It's not at all for foreigners I was eating just a lot of rice mm -hmm. actually I think I think it was one of the first days and I was trying bits and pieces I was getting a bit you know like I'll try this try that and I was asking because I had a translator there I'm like mm. what's that he's like oh that's pig's trotters I'm yeah. like oh shit yeah yeah um, <laughs> and obviously the time of the year it was as well they had um, they'll have trays of like dog because they eat dog oh, and that's not man. a that's not a yeah. yeah, and if the what, if the translator wasn't there, you wouldn't have known it was dog. Wouldn't know any of it. Like even at our our training base, we, we had like a chef, so we had a training base where literally you had your own room, um, where you could stay if you wanted. We had our own apartment and stuff, but all the players, half of them, just stayed on site. So it was like room each. There's a chef that has a meals room for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah, you know, there's five six pitches. It's just in like an enclosed area. Mm. Like there's a lot of money in Chinese football. Is there because Pretty much all the owners were... Was, there's was no board like in Australia where Adelaide United's owned by a board of two, three people with a split and mm. it's just one eccentric millionaire or billionaire just as like yeah. a plaything. Just That's what our, splashing cash to... Our president owned gold mines in Guangzhou and it was just like his plaything. Like yeah. the, the stories that come out of that is just... Like he, he could sit on the bench and he would just be chain smoking during <laughs> games. Yeah. If he wanted to make a sub, he'd tell the coach to make a sub. Like, th he had absolute power. Oh, wow. The things, the, things like that would not happen in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And there's so, a funny story about your um, translator who got promoted a few times. Have you heard that one? Have you? Yeah, I'll do my research. Yeah. Um, Tell us about that. There's a couple of stories with promotions that would be like, wow, it'd be interesting to be in China if you're doing well. Because So when I got there, I, I guess this take a step back, my... Um, I got there and we had this translator who spoke English, not particularly well. So he kind of fudged his resume. He didn't actually study English. He used to sit in on classes to study English 
that's kind of his way out the uh, the ghetto, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got this job as English translator there for the year, loved his job. Um, essentially, I, when I left, he was really worried. I was messaging back and forth because he thought he was going to lose his job. And then, um, yeah, they made him for a brief time. I think they just like um, shifted him to be media manager for a little bit. And then he went from media manager to essentially scout. And he was to the point where he was just... They were receiving DVDs of players around and he was doing the scouting of watching the videos and then making recommendations to the coach who heard a sign. And he ended up signing that year. So literally the year after I left, he signed like a Nigerian strike of like 300K off the back <laughs> off of a, a DVD. DVD. <laughs> Which when you say that out loud, you're like, that sounds ridiculous. But it happened. Wow. Mid- midway through the season, another story with that. So we had a Chinese coach. He got sacked. And then we had... Um, the interim coach, which was the team manager, um, mm. come on board. Now, the team manager the previous year was the kit man. So he went from kit man to team manager. So essentially, he would organise the trips. And so he became interim while they were finding a coach from team manager to become our main coach. Mm. So we had our training during the week and they were terrible mm-hmm. because he's not a coach. Mm. But we managed to do really well. I think it was the next two weeks, we got two wins in a row. And they made him coach till the end of the year on like a basis so the rest of the year the training was pretty rubbish but we just don't know whether it's through coincidence or just we managed to do pretty well had a good run we ended up finishing seventh that year which was the best the club had ever finished because we weren't a big club yeah and um they ended up finding another coach at the end of the year but he got promoted to vice president at the end of the year so he had a meteoric rise (laughs) through the ranks (laughs) yeah so what were you thinking this whole time like you know going back to the start when you got chucked in this like full crazy camp with like long drop toilets and then when this sort of unprofessional I suppose behavior is happening what were you thinking to yourself um first probably the first day it was like I've been tricked where yeah. am I yeah but um it was just that state it's just what they do they just train as much as they can all together with all the other Chinese teams and just playing games constantly just getting fit mm. um I mean that's the that's the bad side of it. The flip side is the the clubs had money to have things where they had the, a completely professional setup. Mm. Whether or not sometimes the training or things would be at the same level, or maybe the monitoring of the players was fifteen years behind what we do in Australia with GPS data mm. and everything mm. like that. Mm-hmm. But the actual facilities for pure um, the money they spent was was there. Mm. So you enjoyed it in China then? I enjoyed or it like. like uh, yeah, I had a good year. and was um, it one year, just one year that you were there? One year, I signed for two, but uh, do you want me to tell you the story yes, with China as definitely. well? Definitely. Why, why a lot of I'd foreigners go for one year? Yep. So I signed for two. Um, uh, okay, I hope I'm okay saying this. No, uh, anything you want. You can always <laughs> cut it later. <laughs> that, um, so when players, foreigners sign there, and if there's a particular coach, whether they be Chinese or foreign a lot of the time they want to get their own players in because and again I don't know if this is still happening or Mm. happening at the time but they'll want to sign their own players because as part of the deal of the players that they already know let's say a coach comes in from a random nation comes to coach a team in China and they bring one of the players that they know but then they're like okay you sign your contract for x amount but you get a 50 grand sign-on bonus give that sign-on bonus to me I'll sign you Mm -hmm. so this coach just wants to sign his own players because he's taking everyone's sign-on bonuses and if he hasn't got new players to do that with he's not making money so essentially the year we finished seventh (laughs) essentially there was three brazilians and and myself which was the asian player yeah counting as the asian player um got rid of them all signed our own players 
sign oh. new players. Wow, that's so. That's and then they right. went down the following year. <laughs> oh, yeah, it says right. Yeah. <laughs> so did you talk? Did you? Do it? I'll move off the China in a minute, but it's it's an interesting. Story. Oh, but there's so many stories did, to just did, bring it out. It's just. <laughs> it, did you? Uh, I think. Am I right in saying that you did get a solution for the food over there? Didn't you translate, or someone end up sourcing some sort of decent up, food for you as you were going? Yeah, I think it started a bit of a food journey because when we first got there, we were going down to like the essentially the wet market which was nearby oh. and oh, unbeknown to wet us, markets now don't we um, unbeknown <laughs> to, not, to us um the translator once came around to our house and we had some food from there and he's like oh don't eat those they fertilize those with human shit oh and i was like oh okay well that's <laughs> not a good start and then he started telling us about the sprays which china doesn't really ban a lot of sprays so oh, essentially okay. and a lot of the yeah if they're transporting cabbages yep. and it's summer, they don't have refrigerated trucks a lot of the time. So they just spray them with formaldehyde so they keep. And oh. then they take them to the market and then you go eat them and they've got formaldehyde on them. Oh, man. So a lot of that happening. So essentially we ended up ordering organic boxes because there was a... I mean, there's quite a few Westerners in, in Shanghai. So mm. you can order a box delivered to your door. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the early month... And also didn't help in probably the first month I had really really bad gastro from eating something Did something you? to the point i thought i was going to die ended up in hospital on a drip really and chinese hospital was not yeah, funny i was going to ask you what that was like chinese hospital probably uh, not heaps of fun or well, everything was coming out of every hole and i couldn't stop it um oh, and i just had couldn't keep anything couldn't keep water down and you're in a hospital waiting room with by the way there seems to be when i was there there seemed to be the most amount of construction accidents i've ever seen the amount of people in hard hats with like limbs yeah. half hanging off oh. okay there's a lot of construction accidents there <laughs> <laughs> i am um, i've been to china one time and because my wife's brother used to be a teacher over there so he went over there in say like 2015 and he used to say to me like tell us about how just absolutely brutal they are over there and, and like I don't know what the word is, but like self-centered. And he used to say like this story about um, whether it was just like an anecdotal story or whether it was true, but it turned out that it, that it was definitely like, you know, there could be an 80 year old lady lining up for the train in a, on like a walking frame, you know, can barely walk and people just push her out the way to get on the train. And I used to be like, no way. And then actually when I was there, I, I would say from what I saw, that's pretty much spot on. Yeah. It's law of the jungle there. Yeah, just like everyone for their own, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. From what I saw as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Any other good stories that come to mind before we move on? Uh, probably hard to think, I think of the anything. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that yeah. if you think of anything. Now, am I also right in saying you paid over 250 professional games? I'd probably say it's, yeah. It was near 300 once you add up cup games and mm. a few other things, yeah. Mm -hmm. And just on that, do you still count where you're playing at the moment, the Sturt, Sturt Lions? Is that... Nah, is that, that's not perfect. MPL, MPL, okay. yeah, yeah, different. Right. Um, there's a, there is a hell of a lot of ups and downs, you know, in in that prefer, in over 250 games, and I'd I'd I'd, un, I'd like to understand how you you pick yourself up after a bad performance, or especially say a bad run of form. If you found anything that would help you to get through like a bad patch of form, like mindset tools, um, any sort of strategies or tips or advice you'd have for anybody. Yeah, well, a lot of the time if you're in bad form, you're going to get dropped anyway. <laughs> okay. It's pretty ruthless. But, yep. um, or if, I guess that? if that was the case, how you'd, you know, how you'd knuckle down to get yourself back on the team or something like that, because yeah, sure that's I, happened to you a few times. I, in your I spent probably the 
early 20s to late 20s, I spent a lot of the time where I was, I was playing every game, playing 90 minutes mm-hmm. consistently. And it probably wasn't until I had uh, an injury or two and then you used to find yourself coming back from injury and then you, you're competing a little bit more with players around you. Yep. And then you, um, in the modern era now, everyone, a lot of teams just have two players for every position. So you're competing directly against someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they bring someone in, it's, it's yeah, you or them. Yeah. But in saying that, Australia is very different with the with the team environment and culture. Like most recently, we've when I played at Adelaide, and I think Ryan Strain was coming through. Who's now obviously he's coming through Socceroos and doing well. Mm-hmm. I still message with him. Great guy, awesome bloke. Loved him, and I was direct competitor with him. And we probably one of the years I think we played fifty fifty games. Mm-hmm. But it's just that sort of camaraderie. And I think last few years of my career, I really realised the team aspect of it where the team comes first I think probably early 20s you, let's say you weren't playing you'd be like oh I just I need them to play bad so I can so I can play mm. mm-hmm. and then that switches when you're in that switched the last few years for me where I'm like I want them to play well yeah or what can I do to help the team okay does that come down to maybe can you put that down to a, a like a certain team culture or environment or do you think that was more I don't know just if it was you just getting maturity matured and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I I know players that were younger that had that or looked like they had that, and mm-hmm. I was like, why don't why am I thinking like that mm. when I was when I was younger? Yeah, but I think that's a change. Of, I think Adelaide in particular has a really good culture, and also because they have a lot of Adelaide-based players coming in, so it's not like we've got half the team from Sydney and Melbourne, and they're just here, mm. you know, on on pure contracts. Like they want Adelaide to do well. They're from Adelaide. Their family and friends are all the games. It's a it's a different environment. So do you think that makes a difference? Like Massively. A, yeah, about like getting Massively. local guys playing for a local A-League team? Massive. Yeah. Massive. Uh, not only for the fans to like get behind, but mm. the players. As far as I've seen, like the players want the players want to do well for their, their city as their home club. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's just different. Yeah. Do you get, um, this might be a bit of a weird question, but do you, you know, I'm, I'm coming from an AFL perspective, do you get many kids who would grow up in Adelaide but go for Melbourne you know because you get a lot of that in the AFL where like you know guy, kids that go to AFL their whole life they've actually barracked for Melbourne but they lived at Melbourne Demons but they lived in Adelaide does that happen a bit in soccer as well or I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say as much because I think what the A-League teams try and do is try and get that catchment early on so you have a lot of visits to um, clubs and not so much schools but cl- at club level you have you'll get sent on um, promotions, essentially. You're just going out running a training session mm, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of months or something like that. Get, get people involved. Get them, um, yeah, so the tie with Adelaide United is a bit stronger. I, yep. I don't think you're going to lose many kids after you do stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, even for me, like I remember at, when I went to school when I would have been six or seven and Tom Wren came to our school, the Adelaide Ruckman. Oh. And he was ginormous. And I like, why would I remember that? I don't remember anything. Tom when Wren, I was, isn't he the news presenter? Uh, yeah, but played the. Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Sean and Wren. Sean Wren. Sorry, Tom Wren. Oh Tom Wren. Things on the channel. Nine. Yeah, no, but just, he was ginormous. Yeah, 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 huge. What else do I remember about that year when I was six or seven? Mm. Nothing. But mm. I remember that. Yeah. So like things like that stick with when you have like sports people come out, whether it be at that age or a bit older. Essentially, you're, you're, they're looking up to you. Yeah. So yeah. does do I they, remember that? So. Well, yeah. Well, that's a that's a wicked question. Like, do they? Does Adelaide United, in particular, put a lot of effort into that sort of grassroots? They do. Yeah. yeah. And I think they know that's the return. 
Yeah, well, it ends up with bums on seats. It mm. ends up with a stronger tie to Adelaide United. It, mm-hmm. It's only good. It's good for sponsorship. It's good for everything. Yeah. yeah. What, what is kids' football, soccer like in Australia these days? You know, what's the... Is there heaps of kids? There's a lot of... I think it's the most, most participated sport above um, basketball Even above, and AFL. Yeah. Really? Um, wow. Is that translating into... Is the A-League then improving in regards to quality and that sort of stuff? I think the that's a different question because I think the management of the A-League has sort of spiralled the last, I'm going to say, three to five years. They, mm. they sort of were on this trajectory where all the crowd levels were going up and up and up and then they did some things that did not help the league, I think. And we've seen those go down and down, but places like Adelaide have been very resilient. Like they get, They'll still get 10,000 to a match and... Can you say yeah. what things they've done? That um, I guess like a lot of mismanagement stuff, things around the... I mean, the most recent one is the decision to make the um, grand final. So previously it was the, let's say you finish first, essentially you're going to host the grand final. Mm. So the year that we had the grand final at Adelaide Oval, because we finished top. Yep. Now this year they just decided... Um, after the season started, mind you, apparently without any consult, that they've sold the rights to Sydney to host the grand final, regardless. Oh, so like let's say NFL sort of level thing. Now there's pros and cons to that, but initially there's a big, big uproar, and mm. essentially there was no consultation. Mm. And now the <laughs> essentially they've come out and said, "Oh, okay, we're just going to from now on we'll speak to people when we're going to make a major decision." Oh. But this stands. <laughs> essentially, that's that's, that's the. That's an odd way of doing business. It's not good. And yeah. there's many examples that have been, I think, counterproductive for growing the game. Mm. And after the back of the Socceroo success, you would have thought that things would have gone in an upward trajectory, but they, they haven't. Mm. Interesting. And so you spoke before about that sort of team culture. Um, and I wanted to ask, you played under many different coaches, captains, like leaders, managers over the years and I'd love if you could speak to you know what 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 it's like in that when you're in like that elite team environment where because I'm guessing there's obviously some time some years or some teams you would have been involved in where the vibe is different but when you have got that real winning yep. culture I'd just love to know what that looks like in a professional sporting space can you can you put yeah, it down to um, some things I think I've been lucky to say that a lot of the teams I've been involved in have been sort of a uh, had been quite unified and when they haven't been unified the players that were on the exterior have kind of been flicked early like have been in good cultures when I think of Adelaide in particular like they've done a really good job of making sure that there's good like they're bringing good people not just good players Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think of um, can I go back to China for a second so the team I was playing for in China essentially let's say halfway through the season they brought in a striker on loan who was who was known to be a lot of trouble, yeah. and he continued to be trouble at our club, and just ended up getting punted like a toxic after, person uh, or terrible. Yeah. Like to, he, I think it was two weeks into it, and he had a scuffle with a player at training. Our, our left back, and he was a striker, mm. had a scuffle to like a fist fight at training. Oh, right? Yeah. Anyway, they both of them would happen to be staying at that training base that I was talking about, where they stay in their individual rooms. <laughs> Mm-hmm. him and his mates not soccer soccer mates him and his mates got drunk that night went round to that guy's room and just like beat the hell out of him 
Really? Yeah. So come to training next day. This guy's with black eyes. Wow. President's out there having a chat to everyone. Yeah, this can't happen again. Okay. And that's it. It's just... Uh, yeah, that's that's going to ruin the culture pretty quick, smart. So... <laughs> God, all these. I haven't thought of the Chinese stories in a while. So one of the, we had a Brazilian striker. Same thing. He came start of the year. He was our big signing. He was on definitely by far the biggest money. Yeah. Um, you know, we get we'll get paid in an envelope. He'll get paid in a bag, kind of thing. He was yeah. on big money. Yeah. Um, essentially, he uh, he wanted to leave halfway through the season. There was a club in Brazil that wanted him. He wanted to go back home, and the club wouldn't let him mm. initially. So he'd come to training, just sort of walk around, and he'd just sit on the ground, just grab his hammy and be like, like Oh, good. really? And then <laughs> physio would come out, they'd walk him out, he'd finish training, they'd send him off for scans, he'd go to the scan, nothing wrong with his hammy. Yeah. Come back the next day at training, he'd do the same thing, oh. and then the same thing. And then that goes on for a week and it wasn't working, they're not going to sell him. And then he'd come, <laughs> he'd, just, he'd come to training and he would just... This is, this is when we had the, the coach that was the team manager. Yeah. We'd essentially come to training and he would just try and disrupt it. So to the like, we'd be doing a passing drill and the ball came near him. He would actively chase it and boot it as far as he could. Really? Yeah, and the coach like would just be standing there like this, like, not sure, because he doesn't really have the authority to say anything. He can't do anything. Oh. So he's just, like, kind of ignoring this guy is just ruining every drill we do. That's like some high school, primary school level type oh, of thing, isn't it? And unbelievable. Like, so this, this went on for weeks, and eventually he won. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, uh, that's insane. That, that could never happen in Australia. Yeah. You, you try one thing like that, you'd be sat down, your contract... There'd be big ramifications for doing anything remotely like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah, that's that is a that's a crazy story. Yeah. In a professional sporting environment, and he's carrying on like a toddler. He had his toys thrown out the cot, sort of thing. Yeah. Just he's got his he own knew, way. Yeah. Well, that's what he must have known that I'm going to get my way, or yeah. thought I'm going to get my way either way. Yeah. So I'm going to make it their life hard till they let me go. Yeah. So it's fair to say China probably didn't have nowhere near the team culture that. Uh, no way. You have and over here. Also, everyone. So like in Australia, you have. Maybe you have your team goals at the start of year. We want to finish here, here, here. We want to do this, this, this. Mm-hmm. China was felt maybe it wasn't because of the language barrier. I don't know. It just felt a lot more like um, mercenary. Yeah. Yeah. Now, also on top of that, like in Australia, you have your wage, but you don't get any bonus, contrary to what people think, you don't get any bonus for win-loss draw. Oh. There's nothing to do with that. It's mm-hmm. not performance-based with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have your goals and you want to do well. Maybe for the club, there's different things, but for individual players, there's no bonuses. In China, the Chinese players were paid a fairly low um, salary, but they would get substantial bonuses for points. Right. So you could have some players that would train terribly during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come game day, they've run around like headless chickens Yeah. because there's money motivation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, I, I could feel that as well. Yeah, right. That's crazy. And then there was the year I was there. There was also lots of rumours with um, uh, match fixing, not particularly out except for one game. Apparently, I found out weeks later that there was one game that we were there was players being investigated for match fixing. Now it was a game. Yeah. So toward who knows towards the mm. end of the year, some teams are up here, some teams are down the bottom. The bottom few will get relegated. Mm-hmm. So there was there was rumours of the teams down the bottom paying off teams above them to fix matches so that they could 
Yeah. I don't know if any of this happened, but there was a lot of those rumours floating around as well. Different, absolutely different world. Different interesting world. To, to watch those games back, knowing that obvious things. I only say that because I just remember one particular game and I was like, why are we so bad? Yeah. Because it was a game with the team below us. And I was like, why are we so bad? And we, I think we, we ended up losing that game. And it was just a weird one. It was not until weeks later when I think my translator told me a portion of it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, mm. I don't know, but yeah. it's... Like it sort of made sense that po- there was a possibility. Yes. Because people were just <laughs> yeah, not trying that hard. Yeah. Wow. What, what's, the, uh, what's the environment like? I'm just interested because I've never played a professional sporting match, obviously. You can tell by looking at me. <laughs> um, what, what's, the, what's the vibe like, in, the, in say, in the change room, you know, when you are in that really sort of winning environment you guys are up and about and you're vibing like what's going on in the change room yeah there's there's nothing better i guess there's a lot of highs and lows in sport from the lows of getting injured and like having to rehab or sitting on the bench and having one of the worst things ever is to sit on the bench not come on but you still go through this roller coaster of emotions and mm. now, now that sounds silly but like if i'm on the bench i'm still doing the same pre-game I'm yeah. still getting hyped up pre-game. I'm still doing the warm-up, getting ready to go on. I actually, you're a lot more anxious when you're on the bench because it's just, you're watching the game. There yeah. might be certain things that happen. And you just can't control anything. And cause... then you don't come on and you just like in this... Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and then you end up, and then it's the lows. Then you end up having to do extra runs and fitness and stuff after the game. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, from the lows of that to the highs of, you know, playing... Um, Playing well, let's say at High Marsh, and like scoring a late goal mm-hmm. in front of the home fans, and like crowd just going nuts. There's yep. nothing better. Yeah. Can you let me know what? It, I'm bouncing around on my questions a bit. That's I cool. always do, but that I didn't want to let this slip. So the Socceroos, yeah, and you scored a goal. Can you tell us a bit about that? It's not a bad conversion, eh? One from one. One from 100%. Yeah. 100% so strike rate. <laughs> What was that like, man? So I went through a really good period in my early mid-twenties. I was playing really good level. I got involved in probably three or four Socceroos camps. I think one of them was with the mains, so there'd be sometimes A-League-based Socceroos camps, and then there was like the, the proper Socceroos camps. Mm-hmm. With, you know, so I'd be in there, and there'd be Mark Schwarzer and yeah. you know, you know, Lucas Neal you sit next to, and all these big boys, and that was that was a big deal. It was awesome. Oh yeah, and then. The, the, when I made my debut, we were it was more of an A-League-based squad. It was in um, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and we were playing Guam, which were a fairly lowly-ranked team. And I think we ended up beating them 9-0, but got the chance to start. And um, I think I scored the second goal. I got an assist, and then I scored the second goal outside the box. And, yeah, it was amazing. What did you... When you went out to the Socceroos trainings, were you, was your fitness at the correct level yeah. sort of thing yeah yeah but i do remember funny you said the beep test they did another test i think it was called the yo-yo test mm-hmm. i think the first session with the socceroos i was like i thought i was really fit and i was like oh okay i'm pretty average now what is the yo-yo test uh more like sprinting and then recover sprinting recover kind okay. of as opposed to the beep test but it's still very high tempo yeah and i was always at a really good high fitness level when i was average in that group yeah so you're like okay these guys are fit was there anything else that you found going to the Socceroos that you were like, oh, okay, like, oh, just I need the, to improve the, on this or that? Just the level, like the, 
you know, you could be doing a passing drill and you do it with your club level, which can be a really good level, but, you know, there'd be a one or two touch awry and mm-hmm. then the mm-hmm. drill slows down or this or that. Um, yeah. When you've got every player there was good quality. Mm-hmm. So you're, like, you're doing a passing drill, it's high tempo. The coach is on you. Like, everything's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And depends who the coach is, obviously, but the intensity is just different level. Who was the coach when you, of the Socceroos when you were... Uh, I had, you know, I went through a few camps, so there was, like, Holger... Ostiak, and then there was um, uh, Verbeek as well. Yep, yep. Yeah. Who, who would you say, it's probably a pretty hard question to answer, but it's one that everyone who hasn't played elite sport always wants to ask someone who has played elite sport. Yeah. Who's the best player you've played with and who's the best player you've played against? Uh, maybe it's people you probably wouldn't know. And also, it depends. Like, some players... You can go a whole season playing with someone and then you're more likely to say someone. Or when yeah. I went on trial, I went... You know, when I went to QPR, there was a player called Adele Tarab. And, yeah, you wouldn't know who he is, but if you watch a video of him after, you'd be like, oh, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah. I spent, like, a week or two training with him and he was just... There's taking the piss and then there's taking the piss. Yeah. This guy would just... He would nutmeg his teammates who knew it was coming. <laughs> and he's just so good. What's his nationality? Uh, Moroccan. Yeah, he's still right. playing at um, he's still playing. Benfica now. But he was an absolute... Beast. Did but he, then, so yeah. he played uh, Premier League. A QPR. So he was pretty much the reason they got promoted to the Premier Premier League yeah. that year. He yeah. was ridiculous. What's what sets apart those players? I suppose. Like, could you say? Can you put your finger on what sets apart the elite, the you know the the great players from the good players? Is it well, a, talent will get you so far, and then like the work ethic. Uh, the work ethic is another thing. Is so I, I knew plenty of players growing up that were probably the same or better than me that didn't end up getting to A-League. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's through chance or other reasons. Now, I always felt like I wanted to do this. So I was passionate about it. And I guess that translates into other things. So, for instance, with your business, if this is what you always want to do and you're passionate about it, you're going to do well in it. Mm-hmm. I think I heard on your last one, you said if you're one foot in, one foot out, like it's never going to work, mm. which is essentially the same in, the same in sport. Yeah. If... If you're 100% committed to it, maybe you'll get there, maybe you won't, but you're a better chance than if you just got the talent and you're, and you're not fully committed. I love that. I'm going to clip that quote and that's going to be on Instagram. <laughs> right, that's really good. I love that. That's, um, yeah, do you think mindset comes into it at all, in, you know, in regards to, obviously, there's work ethic. Do they, are these guys built differently from a mindset perspective as well? I think so. And I use the example... A while back with Craig Goodwin. Now everyone knows Craig Good- Goodwin now. But So I knew him when he was um, he was the youth team, got kicked out of the Adelaide United youth team. Essentially went to Newcastle on a short-term deal. So did Ryan Kiddo mm-hmm. on a short- short-term deal. Ended up being in the youth, term- youth team. At, this is Craig. Ended up being in the youth team at Melbourne Heart when I was at Melbourne Heart. And he made his debut and got man of the match, Melbourne Heart. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this guy's good but he just didn't really get the chance. But he's the kind of guy that even early on, he'd be training, he'd be on minimum wage training as a young kid. Training finishes, he's the one out there for half an hour, shooting yeah. free kicks. Yep. And you're like, oh, this guy just loves football. Loves, but Craig, for instance, loves any competition. Mm-hmm. You could, you'll, he'll finish training and he'll be there for half an hour shooting. And then after he's finished training and you've had lunch, he'll be like, anyone want to play cards? And he'll just play something else and then something else. You'll be at the airport, do this. Just energy. Game. Like just competitiveness. Like competitiveness. Pure yeah. competitiveness. Okay. Yeah. That's so there's some people are different beasts. Yeah. But some, yeah. It's not just talent that, that makes it. I've seen plenty that hmm. 
won't make it on talent. And people don't see, like, that's the stuff people don't see, like, like myself from outside. You don't see these Craig Goodwins of the world spend an extra hour at training and, you know, things but see, like that. But early on, like, I'm talking, this is early days when he would have been on minimum wage and he was doing that and you're like, ah, oh, like, yeah, good, that's mm. good. But, like, you look at him now and you're like, is that because he was doing that or is that because of his mindset or is that because of this? Yeah. But guess what? He's taken all the variables out and he's just done the work and yep. he is where he is. So yeah. is, is that why or is it not? But you've done the work. You can't question it now. Mm. That's so cool. Um, I've all... I want to, you know, change it up. I've, I've always sort of... I've always admired your resilience, man, um, because you have had two... I don't know if there's been more, but there's definitely been two significant injuries. One I remember extremely well because I was on a honeymoon with my wife and we're in the far north Queensland. Yeah. And we were watching the game and you broke your leg. Yeah. 2014. And then the other one that's obvious that most people would know is when you um, ruptured your Achilles in the 2016 A-League grand, grand final. final. Yeah. I'd love to hear how you, you know, what, guess what you were thinking when they happened and go in like, I'd love to just delve into your mindset and like your how you got through how you how you came back from those serious injuries yeah sure um so during my career I've always been pretty good at being at training regardless I've never had I've never really had a niggle so I haven't had a I've never had a hammy strain I've never really had a quad strain I've had little things here wow. and there but like Melbourne Heart I went two and a half years not missing a game you know like I mm. just I had things, but I just played through them. I never had anything, little niggles that players would, you know, one, two, three weeks out, that never happened. There was years at United where I went years without missing a training. Yeah. But then you have something, then I had two major injuries, and that's pretty much been the, oh, and you can add one more from China, which I can talk about after. Mm. But, um, yeah, did the Achilles, I did the, broke my leg, and, yeah, that hurt. I didn't know what it was because I'd never had anything proper yeah. so essentially I, I slid and my leg just went numb my, I slid my foot got stuck in the ground mm. and I had a spiral fracture so mm -hmm. a spiral fracture my ankle dislocated oh. it was pretty brutal mm. but just went numb so I went to get up and I was like oh okay something's wrong and didn't know until I was back in the change room and then the doctor talks to you yeah what it yeah what it is yeah um, but yeah the rehab was that's the first time I did any proper rehab yeah, so it's, uh, I guess, when the season's about to start and you're doing that in pre-season, it's like a long and lonely road, but mm. at least you're in a professional environment, you're getting good care, and, um, yeah, yeah I, I definitely did the rehab uh, the best I could. Um, even with the Achilles, when I was coming back from the Achilles, I played my first game post-Achilles, I remember, six months and 28 days after surgery. Yeah, I was going to Which was that. really, really fast. So yep. normally it's, they say, nine to 12 months mm -hmm. Achilles. Now, I made sure in the first few months I was doing everything from not eating any any inflammatory foods. I wasn't eating bread. I wasn't eating, like, I was doing everything. Mm -hmm. Even post-surgery, I never took any of the drugs. So they tell you, take, you know, the, I don't know what they're called. Like, yeah, morphines and stuff like that. Is Essentially, that the pretty hard drugs. Like, yeah. oh, take them before you feel the pain. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Really? You and just I just sort of wait, wait for pain. it to come on. Yeah. And it didn't really get, I didn't even take Panadol. I didn't take nothing. Mm. Um, and then I just got really strict with, I made sure I was drinking heaps of water. And because I was living in a townhouse at the time, I was having to move a lot because <laughs> I'd be drinking water. I'd have to go to the loo, yeah. go up and down stairs, just force myself to move. Yeah. So I didn't lose my shape too much. Yeah. And yeah, I came back really quickly. I think because the early work I put in and mm. I've never had a problem with my Achilles since. 
So the, the Achilles was six and a half months, roughly. Yep. And how long were you out with the broken leg? Or? Probably about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I had to, the annoying thing with that was I had a I had a pin put in my ankle from either side because mm. it was dislocated. So I started doing rehab, but I knew at the four-month mark I had to get that pin out, which was another surgery, and mm. then you have to start again. Yeah. So it was like I do, you know, two months of rehab and I'm doing stuff, but essentially then I go back in for surgery, wait two weeks before I can even do it, like walk properly, and then start again. So that took a long time. Do you think the fact that you had barely any injuries over your period, like, it's probably a combination of things, but is is it just luck or is it like the fact that you were doing all the right things? Doing the right things, and I think I had a good, good base of like my body was in good shape from partly honestly doing being AOS and being in mm. a lot of the gym environment so I was already doing a lot of gym I was already kind of doing a lot of prepping for my my legs were really strong my upper body was really strong my core was really strong yeah a lot of footballs that going into going from like a semi-professional environment to a professional environment aren't going to have the same mm. <laughs> gym gym ready like body ready yeah. um yeah, for, for like professional environments and yep. maybe they'll get some injuries from that. I just felt like I went straight into it and just, yeah, never had a never had an issue. What are the fundamentals? Could you say there's some fundamental exercises? Because a, a lot of these people who are probably going to listen to this might be those semi-professional guys. You probably don't want to give away all your secrets because you're playing in that league now. But yeah. can you, is there fundamental exercises that you would, you're always doing that you could say definitely made a difference? Just major. Like I always had ridiculously strong like adductors. So I had like... I never had any adductor strains mm-hmm. and I think that was partly yeah due to AUS as well and I was doing a lot of squat stuff so it was always hammies hammies quads glutes core back yep. I was doing everything yeah what but I think um, one of the major as you know under semi-professional level one of the major injuries you'll get or you'll see is a is a hammy yeah hammy and you think is that does that come down to not having the strength in the hammy like the doing the you know the or the endurance as well because you keep you keep doing at a certain mm. level something and eventually something's going to go unless you're already mm. training above that level. That's, a, that's the thing as well. When you're training three days a week as opposed to training six days a week plus a game, yeah. um, you know, you've got your... The volume essentially, training training's supposed to be harder than the game. Mm-hmm. You train at this level, so when it gets to the game, you're at this level and you're able to perform. Yeah. That was the whole idea. So, what? whereas at semi-professional level, training might be here and then game might be the hardest day of the week. I okay. think that's what I've found... Is a difference at yeah the, where I'm playing now. What what would your running program look like in an A League team? You know, in that pre-season, I'm sure you would have had a few maybe throw-up sessions and stuff. Uh, not so quiet. Like a lot of it's based around the ball now. Is but it? Early days was a lot of. I, I remember when I was young, the first day of pre-season, you'd meet at the athletics track. Like, okay. <laughs> Doing and like 2K time trials or something. Is, you know, you do a 100 metre, 200 metre, 400 metre, 800 metre, yeah. um, 1600 metre, 20 metre sprint tests. And be like, whew, okay, wasn't ready for that. Yeah. But nowadays, it's a lot of the sports science and the, mm. the gym guys get involved and it's more of a tailored program. Not saying that there's still a lot of stress on the body, but it's more, it's not as, I guess, we're old school. Yeah. And I think back to that point back in China, I think I felt like they were about 15 years behind with monitoring. Yeah. You know, like you could go out and do a session and there's no monitoring how many Ks you've done or how many sprints you've done or 
why they've suddenly got three calf injuries mm. this week compared to last week. There's no monitoring. Sports science is just not Sports science was, like we have. No. What, going back to that, what was that injury you had in China? Uh, it was during a game. I had a big Brazilian centre-back double foot me in my knee kneecap. Oh. Now, same thing. I went numb. And I, it was like last minute of the game. So I just hobbled on. Finished the game. My knee just blew up. And the doctor, they call him the doctor. Essentially, they're physio. Yeah. But you call yeah. him the doctor of the team. Uh, took me for some scans. So you mean the uh, translator? Nah, not the translator. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> they took me for scans and essentially told me it's just um, bone bruising, so it can't get any worse. But I couldn't train during that week and my knee was blowing up. So mm. they ended up draining my knee twice that first week and I just didn't train. Yep. Rocked up game day, played a game on, on painkillers. Not painkiller, you know, like Panadol and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not much. I was, it was really sore. But in my head, it's just bone bruising, bone bruising. So you just kick on. Finished the game and it was, it was really sore. Did the same the next week, except the liquid in my knee was coming out yellow. They were taking the syringe out and it was just, you know, every couple of days it was yeah. yellow. Just okay. didn't train that week. Yeah. Played the game on the weekend. Finished the game and I could barely walk. Playing 90 minutes. And like, nah, this, something's wrong. Mm. Like, I can't even shift my weight on it. Mm. It was an away game. I remember we went straight to the hospital with the translator <laughs> and uh, got a couple of different scans. And essentially the doctor there was like, oh, you've, um, you've cracked your patella from the inside. Oh. It's like, oh, a 12-week injury. Just played for two weeks because I thought it was bone bruising. And was it infected or something? Is that why I was coming out yellow? Or? Uh, just inflammation and just, yeah. yeah, my body just trying to tell me to stop doing what I was doing. Oh, and just, man. So, so you getting, diagnosis getting poor start. medical advice. Yeah. Um, yeah and and was being, it a 12-week injury? I think it was about 10 weeks or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, can I tell you one little story just so I can remember it off? Yeah. I think it was the first, first or second game. I think we had a red card. One of the Brazilian players blew up. I think someone pushed, tugged his shirt. It was something minor and he blew up and essentially pushed him and he got a red card. Now that... You'd have a lot of meetings in China every morning before training. It'd be like an hour meeting. Yeah. I don't know what about. A translator would just keep saying, and he's saying the same thing again, and he's saying the same thing again, <laughs> and yeah. he's doing the same thing again, and I'd just be sitting there. Um, yeah. So that player gets fined, for instance, and then we play another game, and someone like, oh, it, yeah, that's right. It was the Brazilian, the one I got where I got double-footed, right? And we had this meeting like the next week, and it's like, but you know blah blah blah. mickey didn't react he didn't react he didn't like push the player back or like go nuts on him after that mm. and get a red card and they gave me a bonus they gave me like a grand yeah for like not reacting not remonstrating and i was like oh okay and those kind of things happen all the time they just give bonuses or fine people just for random things really and they do it in the meeting but i was thinking when i came back from my knee injury i remember we were playing a we played a cup game. So there's league games and you've got cup games. Yeah. I didn't know this cup game was televised. So it's one where they have millions of people watching. Now, <laughs> I was on the bench. It was my first game back or thought it was going to be my first game back. It was an away game. And I remember being on the sideline warming up and it was maybe the 60th minute we were losing and the coach made three subs, which means you can't make any more subs. And it okay. wasn't me. Yeah. And I was fuming. I was fuming and I was like, all the players walk back to the bench because you have a big big bench. Mm. But I just stayed behind the goal and was like, bugger this, I'm just going to get something out of this. So I just stayed behind there and I just sat there doing push-ups, dips on the chair, 
essentially just doing a mini gym program for the rest of the game for like half an hour yeah not realizing this game was televised and the camera was there and it's just me in the foreground doing gym oh yeah i got fined for that <laughs> you got fined yeah i got okay. fined so there's there, there were so many different things that really yeah, i just thought you were going to say you got a bonus for nah that. nah that <laughs> they gave you like a participation award bonus for roll the dice on that one <laughs> Yeah. That could have gone either way. Eh? I thought they were going to maybe encourage you to do it or something, yeah. and then then that happened. Oh, so, so again, I'm I'm spending too much time on China, but no, you know, the um, it's the there's so many superstitions over there as well. So you get injured. The president came to me and he's like, he spoke a bit of English. He's like, you got to get a haircut, and I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm thinking I'm mishearing him. He's like, mm. and, and I'm like, am I supposed to laugh? Like, okay, yeah, cool. He's like, no, you got to get a haircut. And the translators, like, every time the president was around, you, he could, the, the, the room could be completely noisy. The president walks in the room. Everyone shuts up. Everyone mm. sits up a little bit straighter. Like, if, yeah. you're, if you've got money, you're, you're the boss in China. There's, like, a different level. Mm. Even at, a, like, a restaurant level, if you're the... The amount of times you go to a restaurant in, in China and it was before their shift and they're all lined up in one line and the boss is literally walking... In a line, just essentially just doing a half an hour speech, just talking to him because really? he's the boss. Oh, I thought you just only saw that in the movies. No, so this is exactly, this is the culture. So this is why every, before every training, they'd have like an hour meeting and the coach would just be essentially just talking to you going. <laughs> and this is the translator wouldn't tell me much was going on because there wasn't much being spoke, really. There's like this hierarchy and he's Hierarchy, like... yeah. I've forgotten completely my train of thought why I went to that restaurant. but <laughs> I think you just went off on another story, which <laughs> <Sorry>. is cool. <laughs> Mate, China is a different. China's a different. Oh, superstition. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They make you like. I had to go get a haircut. If you get if you get an injury, you got to go get a haircut. Oh, that's. They got to cut your hair. Oh, what? just so things like, like that. Just a, any type of haircut, or you had to go full shave or something. Just had to just, get a just, haircut. Wow. Don't know why. Just okay. had to. So did you? Yeah, <laughs> had to. The president spoke. I had to. Did the translator do it? Because he probably was a hairdresser too. Nah, but. <laughs> That's the thing. I could get a haircut. My head, I had such short hair in China because there's that many haircut joints around. It would cost you like two bucks. You'd get a haircut and they'd like massage you at the same time. Yeah. Like, while you're getting a haircut, there'd be three people around you and it would be like two bucks. Oh. Everything was so cheap. Yeah. yeah. And so was it true that you were getting paid in paper bags? I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this, but you sort of did mention it. Uh, so we had our salary, but then we'd have bonuses. And you probably hear stories about how... Um, you maybe heard those cha- the change room stories where someone comes in with a suitcase and mm. like, listen, guys, if you win this, yeah, it was as corny as that. Really? Yeah. What's and also, saying? it looked like a large sum of money because the biggest note in Chinese wine is essentially was like $15. Mm. So the 100 won was $15. So if you had a stack of, you know, 100 won, it mm. looks like a lot. It wasn't actually a lot. It's like but Zimbabwe it was, dollars or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> $19,000 is like 50 cents. But again, we were a lowly team, so we didn't, we didn't actually get the uh, the suitcase much, but yeah. Oh, I just wanted to ask you one quick question, to, touching back on the sort of like the fitness part, and further on to the fact that you always kept yourself in good nick. Were you doing much? What What was your program like in the off season when you weren't required to be at at the club? Yep. So you you're supposed to get five weeks off, but not really five weeks off. It's more like one or two weeks off and then you start your program mm. now you have your off-season program which is sometimes it's just a collective or sometimes it's individual in most recent years it's usually individual um, and essentially you've just got running programs now you mm. think okay i'll do that running program or maybe i won't 
well mm. guess what you have to you got your gps you got your timer oh you gotta you gotta take the data and send, you, every like day send it in yeah yeah so whether you like it or not you got so one year i was in bali and i was running around golf courses yeah. trying to get the k's up to what i needed to in the yeah just knowing they were watching you from afar yeah well it literally it would paint the map of where you were on gps and yeah. then it would send the data everything yeah they could see i was running around a golf course it's not you couldn't get away with much eh? no <laughs> what in your opinion what what makes a great leader or a great captain is there any qualities or thing you can think of <sighs> had some good leaders over the years sometimes like for instance we had eugene kolekovich who was very quiet but when he said something it was worth saying mm-hmm. and then you have other players that are quite vocal and they'll be in your ear and I've responded well to both. I think it's just the person. A lot of the time, it's, I think it's more actions than speaking. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at someone and they're doing the right things, sometimes they don't need to say the right things. They just need to be doing the right things. So that's, that's the case with like Eugene, for instance. You say he's, he would talk during games, but during the week he'd, he's fairly quiet. But he'd be the one doing the recovery properly. He'd be the one doing this, that, setting the example. Yeah, so they're leading by example, aren't example. they? Example, yeah. In regard to your own personal performance, um, I'd like to know if you've got any advice to you could pass on. I guess I, we probably already touched on it a bit, but to a young athlete or a semi-pro or club athlete that's helped you perform at such a high level over such a long period of time. Yep. Just advice? Yeah, just like any any tips for that punter out there or young, young fella who might be listening to this who yeah. wants to be some things that have kept your career so consistent yeah. perform over such a consistent level over such a long period uh, whenever i got the chance to speak to young kids it was like listen to your coaches and if you enjoy it keep doing it and that's as simple as it is mm-hmm. if you enjoy it if you enjoy it enough to where you think you can do it professionally like do it if you enjoy it at a casual level do it at a casual level it depends where your level is and we spoke about that before with like the talent versus yeah how much you're willing to do yeah what did your diet and nutritional plan look like when you were performing at your peak? Because that's an interest everyone has in an elite athlete, I reckon. Yeah. So some players were very strict, some not so much. Some had a plan on game day. Others, like myself, did not. I didn't care what I did on game day. Mm-hmm. Some players, I used the example like Jordan Elsie, he'd have to wake up at this time. Then he'd go, if we were playing a Saturday afternoon, wake up at this time, take his dog to the beach for a walk, get oh. breakfast at that cafe, yep. order that meal, go home, have half an hour sleep, have pasta at 11.30 at this time mm-hmm. with this, and if something goes awry, then oof, in yeah. trouble. Yeah. Me, sometimes I'd, I'd eat whatever, I'd do whatever. I just felt like I didn't want to have to... If something went wrong, I didn't want to have to blame something in the back of my head and we're like, oh, I didn't eat... I eat pasta at 11.35. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then you've got an excuse. I always felt like maybe that's just me thinking too much, but I always thought I don't want an excuse mm-hmm. to be like, that's why I'm not performing. Yeah. What about overall in regards to the diet and the nutrition? Were you, when you were at your peak, say your mid to early 20s, or yep. when you were really performing at an elite level, yep. what, what, is it, what does it just look like? What is an elite, a- elite athlete consuming? It's pretty, you know. I mean, you're eating a lot of carbs, but you're eating well. Really, you're just not eating a lot of sugar. That's about it. If you're burning a lot of calories mm-hmm. and you're just replacing them with good calories, that's about it. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing real special with it. Just, oh, well, we did, again, all this was monitored. Like, we were doing skin folds every couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. I was always really good in skin folds. 
So if you're eating pretty rubbish, your skin folds are going to go up. Yeah. And were you, you said before when you were trying to recover from injuries and you were, you know, not, eat, not eating bread and all those sorts of yep. infl- inflammatory, yep. what people think, were you still eating bread and stuff during the season? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. That was just a, you know, I've got nothing. Imagine I've been in this full-time environment of mm. training and then essentially I'm at home and I'm like, how can I get back as quick as I can? Yeah. And that's all I'm thinking. Yeah. So I'm like in this little box. So I'm like researching, how can I get back quick? Mm-hmm. I keep away from any inflammatory foods. Inflammatory yeah. foods, sorry. Yeah. So researching all those. Okay, don't eat those. Easy. It's the easiest part of the day. Just don't do those. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Because I always just wondered if, um, you know, with all these fad diets and stuff they have now where it's just like, you know, you cut out all the pasta and the bread and only get your carbs from like non-complex carbs like i don't know lentils and like salads you weren't going down that sort of totally clean because you still need i was guessing when you're doing as much running and stuff as you were doing you need some sort of pastas and stuff to oh yeah now there was periods where i went a bit nuts so there was that period probably second year aos and i was not consuming like a single gram of sugar and (laughs) i was like not eating I was very strict. Oh, yeah? And I was, my skin folds got like under 30, which is silly. Is it? It's like gymnastic silly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not the most fun way to live. But mm. th- again, I was in just you know, that mindset. I was just loving gym. There's not a lot to do in Canberra. Essentially, you're just training, school, you're living by yourself. Yeah. Just do a lot of gym, eat healthy. And I was, you know, I went from a pretty scrawny kid in a year to like putting yeah, on a fair did. bit of muscle mass. Mm. And yeah, it was, was a good time. <laughs> What about now? Do you have to, now that you're still training, but not as much, do you have to be a bit cleaner on the food? Or, or you know, are you like me and you just eat one donut and you put on a kilo? Or? No, I'm always pretty good. My metabolism seems to be good. I always thought once I finished, even if I wasn't playing, I was going to be pretty good. Yeah. And just in my head. And I, it, it's kind of been the case. Definitely. Like I haven't, haven't um, again, I think it's what I eat as well. I've, like I've been vego for like six years now. So I think that helps as well. Like that limits what you can overeat on. If I'm overeating veggies and stuff, like it's not a big deal. Mm. <laughs> See, big. That's, oh, well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a bit of the track I was trying to go down with the other question is how have you found the, the, the vego thing with, you know, everyone says you need protein and you need yeah. no yeah. issues as an elite no, athlete. I, I did my, I did my bloods plenty of times and I was like perfect and everything. Mm-hmm. I only did this because, um, so when Mel was pregnant with um, the first one, she every time she was having meat, she just kept chucking. So we ended up just not eating meat at home during the course of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes from that to, you know, I'd still be on away trips and I'm eating meat and fish and everything. And then it got to a point where I could literally feel if I wasn't eating meat during the whole week and then I'd eat something and I'd just feel like tired and I just was no this is over a long period let's say six months mm. uh, and I, I, I thought about changing it's not like I read anything or did anything it was just pure through accidental it's not like I didn't like eating meat or mm. was animal ad- advocacy it wasn't that path it was just I felt better and I, I think it I always thought it was normal to feel like tired once it hit like two, three, four o'clock. I'd just, you know, you just get this like a little wave of tiredness. You don't mm. even realize it. It's not until after you fix it and you're like, oh, that's not normal. Well, yeah. it wasn't normal for me. And I'm not saying this is right for everyone, but yep. I've just found that, yeah, when I was eating meat, I would just feel tired in the afternoons, whether it would be that day or the night before, I would just feel generally worse. Mm. So I just, yeah, 
I, I stopped. Did you try and supplement the protein with other forms of nut? You didn't never. try and go, you didn't go down that track of like, oh shit, now I've got to have a bunch of lentils or no, nut? never. And no. then I always thought, okay, I'll just check the because we have access to you know we're doing bloods work mm. and stuff like that. And I check and I was like, yep, perfect, everything. I'm like, all right, yeah, just keep easy. doing what you're doing. Yeah. Is there many other guys and teams you play with that are veggie or vegan? <sighs> There's a couple, and then there, I think there was a documentary or two that came up where <laughs> I think at one stage for lunch, I think half the team was trying, but they didn't last very long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that that's was more, we, more of a fad. Yeah, when a few docos come out, you usually get a few people jump on board. But it but. depends the reason. If people are looking for, like, to increase their performance, like, they'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. Like, you see now, which is popular, which I'm not against, I think that has some merits, is the, have you seen the eating all meat diet? Yeah, like and I'm like, that'd diet. be interesting to try. I'd probably die though. Mm. Going, <laughs> yeah, people reckon they get shredded on it. Mm. Yeah, it'd be hard without the the carbs, I think. But I think there's there's its own merits. There's a lot of people that had success with stuff like yeah. that. So just whatever works for yourself. Yeah. This is probably also a hard question to answer, but do you have any mental performance like strategies or tool or tools you used when you're in like precious situations? Um, like self-talk maybe or anything like that that you could look back and think um, you used or learnt? Probably never spoken about it. But, um, well, I mean, we, we did a lot of mental health stuff during soccer days um, and we'd love, have a lot of guest speakers in and tell you this and that and sometimes you'd apply it, sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes one person might get something out of it or someone else might not get anything out of it. I found like the... Um, Honestly, the affirmation before a um, before a game, essentially just saying yeah. to yourself, like, honestly, but I got into this thing right before a game, whistle was about to go, I'll just say to myself, I'm enough. Wow. That sounds silly. That is so cool. But um, just saying that and just I'd take a deep breath, yep. say that, everything would feel, yeah, be ready. That's I just amazing, got into, I'd, I wouldn't even forget it. I'd just do it and then, yeah, I, I, sometimes I'd even say it out loud. It doesn't matter. Mm. I just, yeah. Mm. Now it sounds silly to say. I probably no, haven't said that to anyone. that's actually awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And where what brought that on? You reckon? Did we... I think it was one of the talks we did, and it was talking about uh, affirmations and stuff. For some reason, it struck a chord. Um, yeah. Sort of stuck with me. I'm, I'm saying there probably would have been ten that I didn't have an interest in, but mm-hmm. for some reason, that one applied to me. And I know another player that also um, used that. Who's now? Um, have you heard of Isaac Richards? No. He was a goalkeeper at Adelaide United. Now does MMA. Oh, okay. He's a bit. Of, yeah. I'll show you some videos after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's scary. Is he? Yeah. But yeah. he's one that, like, I'm getting off track, but no. he, he could do anything. He could be, he could come here tomorrow and he'd be a plumber and he'd be the best plumber you'd have. Yeah, 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 I know those people. He, I've got a few mates like that. that just, he could was... apply, if he applied what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like he had a contract with Adelaide United and he essentially left it because he wanted to do MMA. Really? Yeah. Wow, and he's doing well now. Yeah, he's just won another fight a couple of weeks ago. He's he uses unit. the affirmations. That's so cool. Glad I asked that question because I—that's such a good answer. Change it up again. You've—you, I always believe you've been a fair and clean athlete. I think anyone would vouch for that. But I have to ask: the ball boy incident. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can you run us through that? Yeah, yeah. And how I'm you happy dealt with to. the aftermath because that was massive. I feel like from memory you were trying to—they were trying to get you to go on the project and all sorts oh, of okay. TV shows and. Yeah, um, it, I, it was pretty happened big. to be a slow news week, I think. Um, <laughs> so we're in Sydney. So uh, was the was that the third or fourth? We I've been in four FFA Cup finals. Obviously, we won the three. That was the one we did not win. Mm-hmm. 
it was the hundred it was extra time let's say it was the hundred and tenth minute or something extra time we were losing in Sydney um, I'm running to the sideline because the ball's gone out for a throw and I'm like yeah 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 yeah, yeah to get the ball mm. off the ball boy mm -hmm. and essentially I'm running there there's probably a eight second I think I counted it back back in the day it's like eight seconds where me I'm like yeah 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 and he's looking straight at me yeah and he grabs his hammy like he's cramping yeah now the coach I know that the coaches tell the ball boys essentially because it's home ground advantage mm. they, they want him to hold on to the ball mm -hmm. like, yeah yeah but he's taking the piss yeah I think that's clear and from the video. Yeah, then I get, uh, I'm getting over there, and then essentially I'm like, okay, he's not going to throw it to me. So I run all the way and past the line, and I'm going, I'll go to grab it, and he puts it behind his back. Yeah. And I'm just still crying, grab it. And obviously things straight away, Matt Simon, which I do the same thing. No, no, um, no regret with how he did that or whatever. Yeah. I would have done the same thing, especially when they're ahead. It slows down time and everything. Mm. But essentially he jumps straight in. It blows up. Red card. See you later. Yeah. Did because when you but, did you actually and then I had the tribunal thing post that where I had to fly back into Sydney and essentially plead my case. But at the time, they didn't really want me to speak about what happened. They just was like just cop cop it and just move on mm -hmm. essentially. So mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to say what happened. It was just that was kind of annoying because I wanted to explain. Yeah. But it was more like you can't do this, can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to explain the yeah. the full thing. And then they show a two-second clip of the exact moment, not yeah. the full thing. It's yeah. like, okay, this feels... Can get taken out of context. Can get taken out of context. And people that know me know that I, like, I'm not going to... No. It, that's not in my nature. No, not at all. Um, but again, it, it happened and had to deal with it. And yeah, it wasn't a great time. I remember getting followed out on the way to the airport, land in Adelaide, getting followed out by camera crews asking questions. Next yeah. day at training, day after that at training, yeah. It was pretty big news. Um, did you? How many weeks did you get or whatever? I think I got two weeks suspension. Yeah. Okay. Because when looking back on the video, it doesn't. I feel. I don't know. I might be wrong, but but because I wasn't there. But when you even just accidentally shirt fronted him type thing when you're trying to get the ball, didn't look like it was a hell of a lot of impact, and I looked like he sort of. If it was just a standalone incident, and like if Matt Simon wasn't right there, essentially as soon as it happened, he was right there, and he just pulled me, mm. and it's just like blown up and again if i was him i would have done the same thing because like okay we're up yeah there's been an incident i can get him red carded yeah essentially yeah. let's slow the game down there goes five minutes off the clock as well i would mm -hmm. have done the exact same thing mm. did you ever get in touch with the ball boy or anything because no after the game i think I, I had a chat to him and his dad and it was just like to clear it up yeah but it was just like listen sorry it's happened essentially and move on how did they take that? Were they? It was fun. They were fun. Yeah, he got to celebrate with Sydney FC after yeah. the game. He was loving. Yeah. It. He was up on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. During your time in the A League, um, how have you seen the pro progress and improvement of the women's A League? Um, yeah, I've watched. A f I mean, I've watched a few games here and there, but um, they're getting. I guess the competition's getting stronger. They get foreign players in as well, and I think all around the world. Mm. women's football is getting better as well and obviously there's there's a they've broken a few transfer fees and I think they get in some cases they'll get paid more like Sam Kerr at Chelsea she's probably on more than any of the A-League players yeah are by far yeah I yeah. was going to say someone like Sam Kerr mm. must do wonders for 
women's and girls soccer yeah and i think participation you know. we spoke about that earlier mm. at junior level like it's a good sport to play when you it's not crazy rough it's not like an afl where like there might be a potential for injury if people mm. are clumsy at a younger age it's, it's a good sport to play yeah 100 percent. yeah i was just out at taking my kids to the woodville caravan uh, skate park thing the other day at the rec center there at yeah. st Clair, and there's a whole bunch of Soccer, uh, football soccer pitches out there and there was just kids as far as the eye could see out there playing playing soccer so you can tell this is pretty good yeah involvement the josh cavallo I, ha- I have you know i wanted to ask you about this hugely po- positive story to come out of the a-league recently and massive worldwide news and I, honestly i still can't believe that he is actually the confirmed basically that first and only player to come out as openly gay professional football player at the time in 2021 anyway that yep. was um maybe that's hopefully different now but um i'd like to know over your 14 plus years as a professional football player how the clubs have changed and made improvements in that space and would that have been possible for someone to do that 14 years ago interesting question um I guess I've never never had to come across it, and also I I was with um, Josh I guess for six months mm. before I left, and then it, of course it was post me yep. leaving that he came out. Yep. And essentially the only thing I could remember from that was my first thing like, oh shit! I remember when he first moved moved here, and I was talking to him because he was living in a particular area, and I was like, oh, do you like the area? Blah blah. To this, and I think one of the first questions I asked him was like, do you have a girlfriend? Mm. And for some reason that popped up in my head with um. One of the first things I said to him, like, oh god, yeah. Well, I mean, you just—I just did. Uh, he was yeah. just quite, just a pretty quiet kid. Mm. Um, yeah, and I didn't—I guess I didn't know him for very long. I was only there for half a year. Yeah, I was there. But no, nah, it's a tricky question to to answer. I guess. Can you see you, improvements in that space? Because in the obviously the wider community, it's be way more accepted now to be openly yeah. gay. And in a sports environment, it's still not really a thing. No. Yeah, but I'd like to know if maybe the environment has improved. And oh, if you if you were gonna be at a club, to like with that sort of timing, Adelaide's the place. They like they essentially facilitated him doing a video, mm. and like everyone was it's completely huge, on board. It was it was excellent how they did it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah perfect. Yeah, but again, I don't know what other clubs would have done, but they yeah they did, did it perfect. Seems it does. I don't know about you, but it seems crazy to me that. In this day and age, and the amount of people that play soccer, football, he's the only one that's come out to be professional, professional to be openly gay. That's just that's unreal and good on him. I, I love that story. That was awesome. Yeah. Career highlight or highlights? I think the year we won the grand final. Just that that year, not not so much the actual when I did my killing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just the the year, only because the season the season it was where we were. We hadn't won a game in the first nine games, and then we just went on a run where we yeah, didn't lose. Right. Yeah. So like the momentum shift from I remember we were having a chat amongst the players at halftime in that game where we were losing it. We ended up winning that game, and then we just went on this silly roll where we just had so much momentum. It mm. just felt like we just couldn't lose. Mm-hmm. Next game, the next game, next game, next game, next game. It just felt like we couldn't lose. We'd get all the way to the grand final, and just having the hype of Adelaide Oval full. Yeah. The whole week that was a build-up of that, it was at, at, in Adelaide, like your hometown, which I think, feel like, again, we touched on earlier, I think they're going to miss with having a mm. grand final in Sydney. 
when you have, so yeah. you, you have a you have a Wellington Perth grand final oh, in Sydney. Yeah. It's just I think it's the disaster. The vibe would be totally different. Uh, yeah. Just yeah, that year, yeah, it was just amazing. How did you? What was it like that? You know, after the game when you were trying to celebrate, but was it roughly about half time when you? The uh, 70, 75th minute. It was almost near the oh, end okay. of the game. Yeah, so you were probably in, you were injured. Definitely, you were probably in a fair bit of pain. Yeah, well, well, I'd like to. Just, you could describe how that went down with the. Yeah, so I, I got told. I thought, see, I was I was I was jogging backwards like normal, and then I took a step forwards. Yeah, and my first thought was, I'm in the middle of Adelaide Oval, but it felt like someone just threw a beer bottle at my leg. Yeah. I literally, if you look at the video, it's me going like this because yeah. I. For some reason, I thought, oh, someone in the crowd's thrown a beer bottle. That's the first thought that came to my head. Really? And then, obviously, it's that realisation of, like, oh, it's where I am. And I was like, oh, I can't. Something's oh, wrong. It's yeah. Instantly numb. And then I'm, like, hopping around on it because they wouldn't kick it out. And I just thought, oh, I've done my calf. Mm-hmm. I've done my calf. Mm-hmm. And then the, the doc, the real doc, <laughs> <laughs> the real doc comes on and, essentially, they do a test with, they, they press your calf in here. Yeah. Essentially... Your, your foot moves if it's, oh, yeah. if it's attached. Yep. Now yeah. my foot didn't move. It's yeah. like you've done your Achilles. I got told on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, like I haven't done, I haven't done my Achilles. And I sort of, I didn't even get stretched it off. I just came off with the physios, go straight to the rooms. And mm-hmm. then they do the test again. And then they show, show me the gap in my leg. I'm yeah. like, oh, oh okay. Oh. Yeah. And then, so while I'm down there, they're just getting me ready. Essentially get the crutches on. And I'm just walking out on the crutches and the final whistle goes, yeah. And I hear the roar in the change room when Pablo scores and we go 2-0 up as well. Mm. Yeah. So And then yeah. I, all the boys, I think it was that post-week as well, it was in Adelaide, there's the celebrations that night, there's the celebration, we had Town Hall, I think, the next day. And now I'm doing all that on crutches. Could you Missing go out, out that night? No. Go straight home, unfortunately. Oh, did the boys get around you after... In the change yeah. rooms and stuff. Yeah, there's only yeah. so much you could do, though. Yeah. Like, that was one of my main posts that night. I was, that was one of my main motivations. I was like, I want, I want this night to happen again. I yeah. want to play a final in Adelaide again. Yeah, didn't happen, but yeah, that was definitely my that was my motivation switch after that. That's interesting to to, to get, tap into your mindset that you weren't you put a positive spin on it or you used it straight away already as like motivation that you know. This is this, some people might be thinking, "Oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Why me? Why, you know?" But you were like, "Nah, I'm coming back from this." Yeah, is what it is, eh? Now, after a four, yeah, fourteen-year roughly professional career, um, and plus all that lead-up as, as a youngster in the AIS, and just totally f- your whole life was playing professional soccer. Do you feel like you were prepared for life after sport? And secondly, second part. Did you get enough? Do you feel like you got enough support leading up to the end of your professional sporting career? Yeah. So I will say yes, and that's because the last few years I definitely separated myself from my football identity. I'd seen it before with players where they, you know, one year deal, one year deal, they're 32, 33, 34, they're hanging on that one year deal, mm. and then they finish, and then what do I do? It's like, everything it's like let's say you're a footballer you're finishing up and it, everything in your world is football it's like oh here's matt how's football mm. that's one of the worst yeah so it's one of the worst questions for people i don't know if you know this they, and it happened a lot mm. during if i hadn't seen people in a while and i'd be like oh matt how you doing how's how's football and, and i would hate that i would hate it really I'd hate it it's like i don't care like how am i yeah how's football forget okay. it 
So I made this disassociation the last few years I was playing. Mm. was like, there's Michael the footballer and then there's Michael the, the person. Yeah. So essentially, the last few years, I made sure that I wasn't going to finish my career and be like, oh, I'm Michael the footballer, mm. except I'm not Michael the footballer anymore. Mm. So I made sure that wasn't a thing. And, you saw and when I finished, I was quite happily, happily done. And so you saw this, you made this di- like distinct effort to... Um, remove yourself from Michael as a footballer 100%. because you saw it from other people yeah I won't say who but I saw yeah. I saw from other um, players and I just seen from afar as well with certain people with mm-hmm. how it ended up and I'm like I don't want that to happen mm-hmm. and yeah I'm re- like there was a stage as well when I was 30 31 I think it was the coach at the time I really didn't like I really didn't like the environment I was going to quit I was very cl- looking back I'm like why didn't I quit I should have quit um, so I was ready to let go at that stage. Yeah. I think it was from then, it was probably at that point when it flicked a switch, when it was like, okay, this is my work. I enjoy it, love it, but this is my work now. It's not, mm. you know, I just flicked the switch. Yeah. And it's like when, when that's done, something else. Yeah. What are you up to these days? Well, I'm doing a... I'm st- remember back in the day you came to my house mm. ages ago and I was talking about tiny home things possibly? Yeah. So we're working in that space at the moment. I've got a half-built um, prototype at the moment, mm-hmm. just a bit of a slow burn. So it's like a triple axle trailer, a 10 by two um, off-grid tiny home that's mm-hmm. getting built in Melbourne with some um, fancy tech in it. So yeah. it like, um, runs off like biogas system. So really? essentially like, you know, you flush, oh, here you go, bathroom stuff. You flush the toilet, essentially the, the waste goes into the biogas system to powers the unit. Really? Um, also has solar, completely off-grid. You just plunk it on a block and mm-hmm. uh, can live in that. Is there any you, anything you can shout out in regards to that? Like businesses uh, on A little the, bit early. Get me on six early. months, eh? All right, we'll come back. Part two, and we'll just mostly shout that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wrap it up in a sec. I Obviously, obvious question I have to ask. Current day GOAT. Current day, what's Me- that? Current day GOAT. Messi yeah. or Ronaldo, or is there someone else you can throw in the mix? Uh, I think... Now it's me- it has to be messy after the last World Cup. After the World Cup. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Okay. And finally, what I'd love, just want to know if you have any message you'd give to aspiring young athletes out there, or more broadly, you know, to make it specific to this, this podcast, um, business owners, tradies, or young professionals who might be listening to this and are trying to make their mark in their chosen profession. I think just find something you're interested in and if you're interested in it, someone else is going to be interested in it. And if that's your passion, just follow your passion because if you're not following your passion, essentially you're not going to give it 100%. So I tried to touch on that with business. I know this is more of a business podcast, but essentially you've probably got what you've got because you enjoy it and you wanted to build mm. you know, a certain thing. But if you, were doing, if you were doing bricklaying, for instance, and you weren't enjoying it, do you think you would have built the same thing? No because you wouldn't have put the energy or the time in. Yeah. So whatever aspect of life, whether it's sport or whether it's your own business or whether you're working towards a particular target or a hobby or a goal or whatever it is, um, you just have to be passionate about it because if you're not passionate about it, it will go nowhere. Mm-hmm. And even if it does, it's like that thing we talked about earlier with talent and work. Like you can have a little bit of passion, but you're not willing to put everything in. Yeah. You will have a half-baked project. Okay. I love that. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for joining me and awesome lessons, awesome insights, hopefully some things I don't think you've spoken about before. So I really appreciate you coming on and giving me the time, man. Easy. Cheers, man. Thanks. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to another White Collar Tradie podcast. Make sure you're following our podcast sponsor, Plumify, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and check out their website at www.plumify.com.au.